0: As we all know, we've been going through the book of Nehemiah, and now we're in the middle of the book. And guess what? What's in the middle of the book? List of names. (laughs) Middle of the book of Nehemiah, chapter 7. Names again, right? Names. How many times have you read in the Bible this list of names that you don't know them? and sometimes it's hard to pronounce those names, right? If you go to the book of Numbers or the book of Chronicles, you go to the first four or five chapters of those two books, you might be probably say, I'm bored with this name. I don't even know these people. This, they existed about more than 2,000 years ago. Why do I care to know about those people? And that's our mindset, even as Christians, when we look at this long list of people. How is it relevant to my life? How, can, how is it that the Word of God says that every scripture, all scripture is given by inspiration of God? How can this list of names teach me any kind of doctrine? How can this list of names teach me how to live my life as Christians? And you might be amazed if you spend some time looking at this list of names in the Bible, you'll learn more, not only about the Jewish people, but you learn about yourself and about how God wants to use you as part of his church. Because this list of people who are going to repopulate Jerusalem, they are symbolic of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the churches around Jesus Christ right now is not that filled with many many people especially our church we need more people to get saved we need more people to contribute and participate and get involved in the different ministries We have so many things in our mind that we want to reach out to those people, even to school children, but we don't have enough people, especially people who are committed to serving in his kingdom. And that's why here in chapter 7, Nehemiah is going to share with us this list of people that God has meant to put into Jerusalem in order to be used in the different areas of that Jerusalem. And the same thing in in the church. God puts each one of you here, and God brought you this day for a very good reason. He wants to talk to you. He wants to tell you something that you need to do. So at the end of this message, I will caution you, God is challenging you to do something. And that's something that God wants you to do. Please do it. Because that's the heart of God. He wants us not only to love him, but also to obey him, to obey his word. So let us go into prayer first. Father in heaven, we commit to you this moment that you've given us, oh Lord, to look into your word. This may be a bunch of names that we may not know, or we may not encounter, Lord. Or people who are or whose names are difficult to pronounce, O Lord. But nevertheless, you have put these names, Lord, for a great reason. And we can learn from this list of names, O Lord, in Nehemiah chapter 7. So speak to our hearts, Lord, and convict us of any sin in our hearts. Help us, Lord, to recommit ourselves to you, as we will see in this passage, Lord, the priorities that you want us, O Lord, individually and also as a church, to fulfill in our life as your believers. So we pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will give us wisdom and understanding to know what to apply and how to apply all the lessons this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Priorities in building the church. Priorities in building the church. When you come here to this building this morning, what is your goal? What is your priority? What are you wanting to learn from the Lord God? Did you you come here? Did you come here to say, Lord, I come here because I want to take all the blessings that you can give me? And that's a good and noble purpose. But I believe as modern-day Christians, just like the disciples, it's not about what we take or what we receive from the Lord or from His Church, but what we can give to Him. And everything that we can give to Him should be pleasing unto our Lord God. And of course, the first thing that He wants us to give to Him is our life. If you are here today, you've been living a life that is not really committed and devoted to the Lord, perhaps this is the time, especially we're going to have the Lord suffer later on, to recommit your life, to renew your passion for the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like what Brother Ronnie said and Marty, who has been always doing, reaching out to the lost people, telling them about the salvation that they can have in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you have gone through different cities in Europe? How many of you have uh, traveled to Europe in, in the past years or probably many years of your life? Sister Anne, Nikki? Who else? I haven't gone to Europe, <laughs> probably I've seen all those cities of Europe just in the internet, right? in the website, in their websites, right? If you go to the cities of Europe, you will see all those old cathedrals, right? Those big so-called church buildings. Yeah. But when you go inside those old cathedrals, what do you find when you go there? Just tourists, people who are visiting those cathedrals. But other than that, all throughout the league, when there are no tourists, there are no people inside those church buildings. What does that tell us? It tells us first and foremost that the church is not the building, that the church is the people of God, composed of believers who trusted in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, believers who were redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, believers who were forgiven of their sins, past, present, and future, And Nehemiah had that intention in Nehemiah chapter 7. There are not many people in Jerusalem, just like in many churches of the Lord Jesus Christ right now, there are not many people. There are more people perhaps in the mall during Sunday, or in the theaters, or somewhere in Hawaii, or somewhere in the different beaches here in Greater Vancouver. But not many people inside the church. But you are blessed that you are here today in the house of the Lord in fellowship with God's people. But not many people are dwelling in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ right now, just like during the time of Nehemiah. There are only foreigners. They have the Samaritans, the Ammonites, the Moabites, but not many Jewish people. Most of the Jewish people, Nehemiah chapter 7, were on the outlying cities, the suburbs, different towns. And Nehemiah wanted to repopulate Jerusalem with pure Jewish people. Because these pure Jewish people will be protecting their own nation. And that's why here we can see in chapter 7 also in application to the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ what should be our priorities. We can see here six priorities that Nehemiah had for the city of Jerusalem. And this one will be the six priorities that I, as the father of this church, and we as the members of this church should have in rebuilding the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, there are three questions that we need to answer. If we're going to build up the people of God, and that's what we need to do. We are building up the people of God by His grace. Of course, we know that Jesus Christ is the one who's going to build this church, but we are getting involved. And how do we build up the people of God? We reach out to the lost people. We go to the highways and the byways and tell them about the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this is what we need to remember, you cannot expect the lost people or the lost sheep to go to the flood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they don't know that they are lost. They are ignorant of their need for the Savior. But we have that great news, we need to tell them, that's why the Bible says, ye shall all be be witnesses. Go and teach all nations, we need to go. It's not enough for us to invite them, we need to go to them and tell them that there's a Savior, there's the Lord, that they can worship as their own God. So what steps should we take? And we'll, take that we'll talk about the six things. Secondly, how do we rebuild this community? This community and this nation, together with the United States, have been founded in the essentials of the Bible. But now, the Bible is no longer in the school system. The Bible is not even in the heart of even some Christians. And instead of the word of God being in the hearts of people, is already the world, the worldly pleasures that's inhabiting the hearts of many people, and sadly, the hearts of many Christians also. So, how can we rebuild this community so that this community will become spiritual again and will be worshiping the Lord God? You know, our mayor here in uh, in Richmond. When you address him, how do we call him? You call him his worship. Did you notice that? We call the mayor of Richmond, or probably any other city in Canada, as his worship. His worship, and then the name of the person. Is it appropriate to call a person, a mere human being, as his worship? Worship belongs only to God. You don't know that, but you can see that in all the newspapers. The mayor is called his worship just like uh, just like the pope is called um, holy pope and something like that or his majesty and something like that right so his worship. worship so we know that the world that we live in right now is completely opposite to god's kingdom and that's so sad and we need to reclaim this community this community of richmond to the lord jesus christ can we do that even though there's only a few of us of course Even if there's only one in our midst who's going to preach the gospel, as long as Jesus Christ is with you, you can conquer all these lost souls and bring them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we will see here in Nehemiah chapter 7 the things that Nehemiah did in order to rebuild his city of Jerusalem. And the same with all of us, how can we rebuild the people of God? individually and also corporately. So let's look at the first one in chapter 7, verse 1. Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had sent up the doors, the porters and the sinners and the Levites were appointed. So first we see here, remember in chapter 6, in verse 15, the wall, the rebuilding of the wall was finished in 52 days. So now in chapter 7, verse 1, They're just setting up the doors and the gates so that the wall has been completed. And take note of the first thing that he did. He did not call out all the people. Okay, come here to Jerusalem. It's a beautiful city. It's now protected by a, a great wall. He called first the porters, the singers, and the leaders. Who are the porters? The porters are the gatekeepers. They are like our ushers. Our usher today is Brother Ryan, and sometimes Brother Elmer, and sometimes some of you in our congregation. The doorkeepers are the ushers, the greeters. They are the ones welcoming visitors to the city of Jerusalem and also to this church building. But not only that, he appointed singers and Levites. What does that tell us? He prioritizes worship. He prioritizes worship. Why would he prioritize worship above all things? Why not? Worship is the most important activity of every individual believer, and especially the Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. When we talk about worship, we always talk about singing, right? Because we, we say, we are going to the worship service. So what does that mean? After the worship service, you stop worshiping? Of course not. You worship the Lord God at all times, whether you are at home, whether you are eating, you are having your recreation, you can worship the Lord God. Worship is not limited to singing. Worship is not limited to listening to the preaching. Worship is not limited to just praying. Worship should be every part of our life. Worship is a lifestyle. And as I told you before, the word worship comes from the word worthy. There's only one person who is worthy of all our worship. And that is our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord God deserves our worship. And when we talk about worship, we talk about the value, the value of the person that we are praising or worshiping. That's why it's so strange to call people as his worship, because we don't worship people, we only worship God with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. Let's turn to Psalm 137. Before this moment, the people of God were not worshipping in the temple because the temple was completely destroyed. And this this was their emotion, the Jewish people, when they were still in Babylon for about 70 years. So Psalm 137, 1-4, by the rivers of Babylon, did you know that there is a hymn or a song in YouTube, the Rivers of Babylon, right? It's a very uh, joyful song, okay? So that's, that, that's the ish, that's the theme of that song, Rivers of Babylon. The people were sitting down, yea, they wept, and we remember Zion. So they were in Babylon, captive in that uh, foreign nation. And because they cannot worship the Lord God in the temple, they are mourning, they are grieving, because Worshipping in the temple is one of the most important activity of a Jewish. So in verse 3, he says, We hang up our harps upon the willows in the midst of because they cannot use their harps, no one to praise during that time, because they were in, in a foreign nation. Verse 3, For their thing that carried us away captive required of us a song, and they that listened us require us word, saying, Sing us one of the songs of Zion. So people are saying, Sing us some songs that you sing when you were still in, in Jerusalem. But the Psalmist says, How shall we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? It's so weird to sing the songs of the Lord if you are in a foreign land, rather than in Jerusalem. And then verse 5: If I forget thee O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her. So they were grieving. They really missed singing those songs when they were still in Jerusalem. And now in their foreign land, they miss so much of worship. That's why when they went back to Jerusalem, they wanted to get back into that rhythm of worshiping the Lord God. Who can um, forget Luke chapter 10 38 to 42? Remember in that passage in Luke 10, to 42 Jesus Christ and His disciples came to visit Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. And right away, Jesus Christ sat down to teach the people in their household. And there were two people who were um, recognized by Jesus Christ doing two opposite things. First was Martha. Martha was so busy preparing food, perhaps cooking pasta, or probably native Filipino dish, or whatever, food. Because, you know, uh, Jewish people, they are so hospitable, they want their guests to be respected and to be treated very, very well. So Martha said, I'm going to get busy for my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, uh, I'll be in the kitchen all day long, and then when everything's ready, I'll call them to the dining room. But there's another sister called Mary, who never helped her, but she sat down at the feet of Jesus Christ, listening to his teaching. Guess who Jesus Christ commended for their great action? Mary. Mary. And Jesus Christ told Martha, why are you careful? Why are you troubled with so many things? Because before that time, Martha said, Master, why do you not call my sister to help me out here? I'm, I'm stressed out. I'm preparing uh, 10 kinds of dishes for all of you. Want to call her and stop her from listening to your teaching, let, all, let the guys listen to you. So Jesus Christ said, Why are you troubled, Martha? Mary has chosen the most important thing and that is to worship me by listening to my teaching. As God's people, worship should be our priority. I'm I'm not talking about this worship service, but listening at the feet of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no excuse for any one of us not to be able to have a Bible, because anywhere you go, you you can have your Bible right now. If you have your electronics, you can have your Bible. And if you have a small Bible, you can carry it in your pocket at all moments. We should be like Mary, prioritizing worship in our life. Let's turn now to Revelation chapter two. In Revelation chapter two, we see the church in Ephesus. The church in Ephesus was a good church. It's a church that ministers to people. It has so many programs. It's very successful in terms of probably catering to many, many people and inviting them to their local church. So in verse 1, chapter 2 says of Revelation, Unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars on his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience, and how they, thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which they say they are apostles, and are not, and hast found them liars. Verse three, and has borne and has patience, and for my name's sake has labored, and has not fainted. So so far, Jesus Christ is commanding this church. You are a good church. You're doing what I want you to do, but in verse 4, he said something, just one short statement. Nevertheless, I have someone against thee. So take note, Jesus Christ said, I have something against you, my church in Ephesus, because thou hast left thy first love. Who was the first love of any church? Who was the first love of any individual believer? Is our Lord Jesus Christ. You might say, well, I still love the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm involved in the ministries, I preach, and teach. But how about your personal time with the Lord? Your personal relationship? Are you cultivating your relationship with God? Are you reading the Word of God? Is this church, the Church at Ephesus, are they devoting much time to prayer and to reading of the Word of God, rather than just activities, activities, and activities? Because sometimes in many churches, we are overwhelmed with so many programs that we forget that prayer and sometimes fasting and just Bible study are very, very important this church has forgotten that the foundation of their church was their relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about the activities, it's not about the ministry, because all the activities and ministries were just results of their personal and corporate time with the Lord. It's as if this church was so busy in quotation, serving the Lord Jesus Christ through ministries. But Jesus Christ is left out, outside this building. It's just like that, we're having so many ministries, this church building is filled with people, we have different programs for the young people, for the children, for the ladies, for the men, and for the seniors, and so on and so forth. But Jesus Christ was not in those things. Could it be possible? Yes, it could be possible. We could be busy, but we don't have time to kneel down before the Lord and pray to Him and read His Word. And that's why I always emphasize to every one of us, your first love is the Lord Jesus Christ. Individually, if we nourish our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, we do. you don't neglect your time with the Lord Jesus Christ, whether that will be in the morning or in the evening, that will affect the whole church. Just imagine if I don't spend time with, the, with, with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ by praying and reading His Word, and then just stand up here on Sunday, teach you whatever comes out of my, of my brain, then that will not bear any kind of fruit. Because remember in John chapter 15, Jesus Christ said, Abide with me and abide in my words. And if we do that, we will bear fruit because without Jesus Christ, we can do nothing. We need to go back to our first love, our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Nehemiah did here when he reinstituted worship in Chapter 7 with the help of the singers and the Levites. So let me ask you this question. Is worship your priority? Are you... Or are you neglecting your time with the Lord Jesus Christ? If you are neglecting your time with the Lord Jesus Christ, please, get back into the routine, get back into the habit. Because the Word of God changes our lives. The Word of God transforms us. If there are negative things in our minds, especially with all the troubles happening in the world right now, the Word of God can give us all the positive things, all the blessings, that he wants us to have. Secondly, are there any distractions in your worship of the Lord? Now there are so many distractions all over the world, our affairs, daily affairs, they can distract us from worshiping the Lord. So let us make priority worshiping the Lord, because that's what we want. he wants us to do individually and also as a church. Secondly, we must also prioritize raising up leaders. So now in chapter 7 verse 2, I gave to Imaias said, I gave my brother Hanani and Hananiah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above men. May Imai knew that even though he was the, the governor of the whole of whole Jerusalem. He needed people to pass on the baton. So he wanted to raise up leaders and he appointed these leaders not just by his own beams or his own desire but he was always praying to the Lord. And we know that that all throughout the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah was always in constant contact with our Lord God himself. And that's why he knew who are the leaders that he's going to appoint. And he didn't just appoint leaders just like that. He had some qualifications, and you can see here the qualifications. First, he said, this leader that he chose, Hananiah, was a faithful man, and he feared God above many. Potential leaders that we raised in this church must be faithful. Faithful means he should be reliable, trustworthy, and his reputation and his witness as a male person should be beyond blamelessness should be a blameless person. Nobody can accuse that person of any kind of wrongdoing, at least in the eyes of his people. Secondly, these leaders should be fearing God. Okay? He's not only to be faithful, he should be also fearing God. And when we talk about fear of God, there are always two, two things, positive and negative things. The positive thing about fearing God is to respect and to revere him as he's supposed to be worshipped. The negative thing is to really be scared of him because we know that he disciplines his people, that he punishes even other people. Because he disciplines and his people in order for them to go into the right direction. And you know, it's hard right now to look for leaders in some churches that are both faithful and God-fearing. Because many leaders right now are experiencing so many scandals all over the world, and that's why we need to be prayerful as a church. And We know that not all of us, especially the older people in our congregation, will stay here in this church for a long time. If the Lord will still keep this church in 20 years or 30 years' time, we need to raise up and disciple the younger people in our church. We need to pass on the baton to the next generation. And that's why it's always been in my heart if you are praying with us on Tuesday morning and Wednesday evening, prayer request would be our school outreach ministry because the young people will be the next generation of this church. And we need more young people to come in here to teach them the Bible so that later on they can become the leaders of this church. Another priority is to protect the people of God. It's not only about worship and raising up leaders, it's also to protect the people of God. Verse 3, I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be open until the sun be hot, and while they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them, and appoint watches, watches are guards, of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch, and everyone to be over against his house. So Nehemiah wanted to protect the people in Jerusalem. Because they're surrounded by foreign people. And we have encountered in the past six chapters, they have lots of enemies already. Ammonites, Moabites, the Horonites, we have Tobiah, Sanballat, and Geshem, the Arabian. And they're a big group of people. Those are the majority of people, the enemies of God. So, these people in Jerusalem that will repopulate, repopulate the city, need to be protected. Okay? So they need to put some guards on their doors. But how does this apply to the church? How can we set up guards and protect God's people? First and foremost, we need prayer. In Ephesians 6.18, it says that when we pray, we pray to all the saints at all times. Let's turn to that passage. Because I don't want to be this. This is a very important Thing that God wants us to remember. Ephesians 6 18. After the Apostle Paul laid down the full armor of God, he said in six chapter 6, verse 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. So, okay, think about pray always at all times without ceasing with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching therefore unto, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints." That's where we get the principle that we need to pray for one another. Because the saints are the people of God, we need to pray for one another. Many of us are experiencing struggles and challenges in our lives. And you might think, oh, pastor is so good, he's not experiencing any any issue or challenge or any trial or trouble. All of us experience those things. That's why we need prayers. And just like what I said last week in chapter 6 of Nehemiah, the leader is often the number one target of the enemy. And we know why. We know why. Because the leader, if the leader is targeted and he is put down, by the enemy, all the people around him will be put down, also. They will surrender, they will be weakened and discouraged. And that's why the leader should be prayed upon by the whole congregation. So prayer is so important. Secondly, we protect the people of God and also the church by being alert. Let's start to first Peter chapter five. First Peter chapter five verses. These are very important passage that most of you know, perhaps. First Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant. The opposite of being sober is being drunk. So don't be drunk, because when you're drunk, you're not aware of what's happening to your life. When you're drunk, you're not controlled by the Spirit, but you're controlled by the alcohol that you took in. And then, be vigilant, be alert, don't drop your guard, just like what Nehemiah did. If you think the enemy has backed off already, or perhaps, oh, I think Satan has not been attacking you for some time. I'm okay now. That's the best moment that Satan will use, when you feel happy, when you feel okay, when you feel that you don't need that anymore because you're doing great in your life. So don't drop your guard. Be always alert and watchful of what's happening. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walking about, seeking whom he may devour. The devil is like that. He does not relent. You might think that the devil will stop attacking you. No. He will always attack the believer. You might be thinking, no, Satan is always attacking the lost people. Of course not. Why would he attack the lost people? They're already lost. Unless they become believers, then Satan will attack them. Because Satan, even if Satan, even Satan knew that we, can, we cannot become his, because we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, he knows that he can trip us. He can make us fall into sin. He can make us stumble. And when we stumble, what happens? We are delayed in fulfilling the plan of God in our life. And if we are, are delaying the fulfillment of God's plan, then hopefully He was thinking that I'm going to be delayed also going to my eternal hell. Because He knows He's going to the eternal hell, the lake of fire. He wants to delay that as much as possible by delaying the second coming of Jesus Christ. But we know that. No one can delay his second coming. We know that the second coming is already appointed by the Lord God Himself. But no one knows. That's why we need to be sober and be vigilant. We need to be ready. Are you ready when Jesus Christ comes back? My dear fellow believers. No one says, no, probably some some people said, Amen. (laughs) You're not sure? You're not sure? Again, are you ready for the second time of our Lord Jesus Christ? Amen! Amen. We should be have a bold Amen because we know that we belong to Him and we're going to heaven very soon unless you are doubting your own salvation. So we need to be alert and sound the alarm because the enemy is always there lurking around us. 1 Peter 5, six, five eight says, he is seeking whom he may devour. He was always active, he's not lazy, and that's the problem. The enemy of God is not lazy, but the Christians, the people of God, are so lazy nowadays. You may not like this, but we are all lazy, even my, I myself. We are not doing our part to share the good news to other people. We are so comfortable with our life. Oh, I'm enjoying going to the fast food restaurant, I'm enjoying my life right now, just having some trips wherever I want. But do we even care to tell people about Jesus Christ? Remember Jesus Christ said in John chapter 4, I think it is in verse 34, the apostles went to town uh, outside Samaria to bring him food because they've been traveling for a long time and he was already hungry and thirsty. So, the disciples said, okay, master, here's your food now. You can eat. But Jesus Christ said, my meal or my food is to do the will of God. And what is the will of God for Jesus Christ? To tell people about his kingdom. are we supposed to follow his example to do the will of God? We should be alert and sounding the alarm. Secondly, thirdly, we need to be aware of the tactics of the enemies. Remember, the enemy is always doing something against God's people, especially when we are resting. Have you had that time when you're at home, you're not doing anything, you're not reading your Bible, you're just probably thinking about what's happening in your life right now, what's happening in the world? In short, your mind is idle. So you think about those negative thoughts, and when you speak out those negative thoughts, Satan can hear it. Uh, just remind you, reminding you, Satan cannot read our minds, but when we speak up, he can listen. He can hear our words. So when he hears our words, then he will use those tactics in order to trip us. So when we're resting, instead of being idle, doing nothing, why don't we meditate on the Word of God again? And that will stop Satan from attacking us. Remember what Jesus Christ said to Satan in Matthew chapter 4? It is written. When Satan tempted him, even sometimes Satan used the Word of God to tempt Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ said, It is written. That's so important. To tell the enemy, the Bible says I should not be doing this, but I should be doing the will of God in my life. Satan sometimes attacks at class of night. You know, the enemy would love darkness. Have you seen any crime? Although perhaps Ravana is not a good thing to illustrate, because nowadays people do all sorts, all sorts of crimes, even in this daytime. But back in the olden days. Criminals will do their crimes usually at night or when people are not in their homes. Although right now, of course, the world is so wicked that even noontime noon time or early morning, people are just doing crimes right and left, and so on. But during that time when there's darkness, the enemy will attack. Satan will also do that. When we are in the dark area of our life, when we are struggling and challenged, and trouble in our life, when we're worried, when we're anxious, He attacks us. And when we are like in those situations, what do we always think about? Think about Psalm 56 verse 3. What time I am feared, I will trust in Thee. Very short statement. Any time that I'm fearful or anxious or worried or troubled, what should be my activity? Trust, trusting in the Lord. And lastly, what the enemy status is, is attacking the family. Did you know that even many, many years ago, the the enemy has been attacking the family? Not, not only the church family, but also the biological family. And that's what the world's doing right now, right? In the United States, Their leaders would say, your children are not just your children, they're also the nation's children. So now they're going to control the parental rights. And there are many schools in the United States, I'm not not sure about Canada, but in the United States, some of the school boards or the school policies in those schools, they're saying that you as a parent may not be notified when your child wants to transition to another gender. And even those children are all about 6, 7, or 8 years old. So they're taking away the parental rights from the parents and giving them to the state. And what's that? That's from the enemy. Because we know that the family is the basic unit of the society. And that's why we call our church the church family. And if the, the enemy of God attacks any person in his family, all of us are affected. And if, if all of us, our trouble, that may put us down, that may discourage us. We need to know the enemy's tactics. Why? So that we can know how to combat that kind of tactic. And of course, how do we do that? We do that by prayer. Prayer is so important in our lives as Christians. Number four, we do not only pray to protect the people of God. Number four, we also Discern God's voice. We must prioritize discerning the voice of God. So, chapter 7, verse 5 says, And my God put into my heart to gather together the nobles and the rulers and the people, that they might be reckoned by genealogy. And I found a register of the genealogy of them which came up at the first, and found written their name. My God put into my heart. Nehemiah made it a habit and his discipline to always talk to the Lord. And when we talk to the Lord and we listen to the Lord, we will know His voice. Remember, in John chapter 10, Jesus Christ said, My sheep know my voice, and I know my sheep also. So how can we know the voice of the Lord Jesus Christ? Through the Bible, through the Bible only. Because there are times that we we listen more to people and we don't connect that with the Word of God. Remember, even if I myself give you some kind of counsel, you need to always take a look in the Word of God. Is it what the Word of God is telling you to do? So don't just believe everything that any person would say. Make sure that it's in the Word of God. And Nehemiah had that habit of always recognizing the Word of God. So how do we know the Word of God? Of course, reading it, studying and meditating on it. Not just a superficial browsing of the Bible. We need to take a deeper thought into the Word of God. Secondly, by putting God first. When you put God first, we'll know God's direction in your life. Let's recite Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. So what comes first before he directs your paths? You need to trust in him, and do not trust yourself. You need to acknowledge his ways and then He will give you your direction. That's how it is. We cannot just make our own path or our, our own direction. We need to trust the Lord. Thirdly, how can we discern the voice of God? By not being conformed to the culture of the world. Romans 12 two says, Be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be not conformed. It's a negative command. We need to be actively uh, casting away or removing any um, principle or any lesson from the world, from the world's culture in our life. But instead, let the Spirit of God renew our lives as Christians. So do not conform, because it's very easy right now, it's very tempting for many Christians to conform to the culture of the world. The world would say, don't think about other people, just think about yourself. But the Bible says, no, be concerned and have have the interests of others first before yourselves. So we see that the Bible is always contradictory to what the world teaches us. That's how we discern the voice of God. Number five, we must prioritize the assurance of God's people. So again in verse 5, we see there that God went to the heart of Nehemiah to gather the the nobles. So what I see here, we can see here, is that he only brought to Jerusalem those people who are surely Jewish people. So no foreigners invited. So how does that apply to the church? The people who belong to the church are only the believers those who are born again you cannot make any lost person become a member without getting saved first and that's what many churches do because they want to fill up their church building they will invite everybody as long as you believe in god even if even if you don't know about jesus christ as your lord and savior then you can become a member of the church Nehemiah said, "You need to be a part of the genealogy of the Jewish people," and he counted all of them. There's only about 42,000 of them who were Jewish people. So, how can we be assured that we are God's people? Uh, let's turn to Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter 13, Second Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, and the Word of God says, examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith, prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, except ye be reprobates. That's why when we have our Lord's Supper, we examine ourselves. Are we truly in the faith? Are we truly saved? I'm not saying that we put some doubts in our salvation, but we need to be assured that we are truly saved. Just like Nehemiah said, you need to be in the genealogy of the Jewish believers in order for you to dwell in Jerusalem. Then, in 1 John chapter 5, if you're not sure about your salvation, this one the Bible says, 1 John 5, 11 to 13. 1 John 5, 11 to 13. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life, and his life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Okay, so these people that John was talking to was, were the believers that you may know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. So how do we become assured that we are God's children? If you have Jesus Christ in your life. That's as simple as that. If you have trusted, accepted Jesus Christ, and believe on him as your Lord and Savior, that he died on the cross for your sins, and that he was raised again on the third day, then you are a child of God. And then lastly, we must prioritize as a church the discipline of giving, the discipline of giving. So in verse, verses 70 to 72, some of the chiefs of the fathers gave unto the work that their shantah gave in the treasure a thousand drams of gold, fifty basins, five hundred and thirty priest garments. So they were donating for the priest's uh, clothing, because you know the priests they need to have a certain clothing when they sacrifice in the temple. Some of the chief of the fathers gave to the treasure the worth 20,000 drums of gold and 2,200 pounds of silver, and that which the rest of the people gave was 20,000 drums of gold and 2,000 pounds of silver and three score and seven priest garments. Wow, that's a very generous giving. And remember, these people came from the seventy year of captivity. They don't have much money, they don't have much gold and silver, but I don't know where they got all these things. But the issue is that their heart was so right with the Lord God. They wanted to give generously to the Lord. Even though they said, I'm going to give sacrificially, they did that. And that's one of the problems of many Christians nowadays. They don't want to give me sick They would say in their heart, and even to the Lord God, God, I, I hope you understand, I still have lots of bills to pay, so I'm going to build, I'll pay all my bills first, and whatever will be the leftovers, I will give them to you. I will donate them to your church. Is that what God tells us in the Word of God? Of course not. He says, we give Him the first fruits of our increase. The first source of every income that we have. And that means if you receive $100, okay, I'm, I'm underestimating most of you. If you receive $100, you give at least the $10 and reserve it for the Lord right away. And then just leave the $90 for all the other things that you need to buy or pay the bills for not the other way around. Because if you do it the other way around, you will probably with $100, you only have one dollar left, or perhaps 25 cents to give to the Lord. That's what it means by putting God first, His kingdom and His righteousness. And we have a great example. Don't think about, oh, is the word God tells to, to, to give generously, but did anybody else show us a generous kind of giving. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7 tells us Therefore, as you abound in everything in faith and utterance and knowledge and in all diligence and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. The grace of giving. Because the Lord Jesus Christ has given what? His money, His kingdom. Not only that, He gave up His own life. He gave his own life sacrificially for all of us. That's the most generous kind of giving that we can see. And he's not expecting us to give our lives, although some of our martyr brothers and sisters in some areas of the world, they were literally sacrificing their lives for the kingdom of our Lord God. Let us give sacrificially, let us give generously. And last passage before our conclusion here, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 to 8. But this I say, we He which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly. And he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. If you, give, you are still a giver, the Lord said, You will also reap that way. If you give generously, you will also reap generously. That's the promise from the Lord God. That's not from me, that's not from RBBC, that's from the Lord God every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth love a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye who is having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good one. So don't think about, how can I give to the Lord God? Verse 8 of 2 Corinthians 9 said, God is able to let you give to him. Just trust him. If you made a plan, and you have the commitment with the Lord I'm going to give such and such every time that I have an income, I will stick to that because I want to be faithful to my promise to the Lord God. And if you are faithful to our promise to the Lord God, will, will God withhold these promises to us? Of course not. He will always bless us. Perhaps not always materially, but He will bless us nonetheless. He might bring our family members into salvation or He might bring our neighbors into knowing Jesus Christ. There are all kinds of blessings that He can provide for all of us. So, let me finish with this passage in Matthew 27, it's in the slideshow also. The essence of our priorities in rebuilding the church and the people of God is to Love the Lord and love our neighbor. So Matthew 22 37 says, Jesus said unto him, There's someone who asked him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. As we worship the Lord, as we prioritize rebuilding this church that God has planted in the heart of Richmond, let us always remember our love for Him. Because the main reason why we do all these things is because we love God. And if we love God, the result will be we'll be loving our neighbor also. Our neighbor doesn't mean our next door neighbor or the ones in our townhouse complex, or near our con- condominium building. But it's everyone that we see. The lost people, the homeless people, the drug addicts and East Hastings. Those people are our neighbors. If we truly love God, we will love those people. And how do we love them? We tell them the good news of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for directly speaking to us through your word, reminding us to prioritize our lives, Lord. Because the days of your coming is drawing very, very near, O oh Lord. It's not time for us to be lazy, to be idle, but to be walking, working, and working, and doing your will in our life and in this world. I pray, Lord, that you will Help us, Lord, to continue this, to have this motivation of loving you and loving our neighbor, so that we will have the passion to tell others about our Savior. Lord, if there's anybody here in this building who has not prioritized you and his or her worship of you, O oh Lord, her love for you, Lord, I pray that you will speak to, the, to that person And help each one of us, O Lord, generally, to love you. We don't like to be the church in Ephesus who left their first love. We want to stick around you, O Lord, because you're the only one who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. We love you, Lord, and help us, Lord, to reflect that kind of love to other people also. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.